When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Something. Get you some facts right here. Get you some facts. Welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan. I'm happy to be here with you today. This podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're listening and you like us, please feel free to go ahead and leave us a review, subscribe, tell a friend. You know the drill. Let's get the word out. So today's show is so great because we get to talk about the art of songwriting. Believe it or not, there is an art or strategy to what you hear in your favorite songs, and some methods that work to create the hits that we love. To guide us through these principles is Andrea Stolpe. Andrea has a degree from Boston's Berklee College of Music, has penned songs for Faith Hill, Julianne Hoff, and more, and has written several books on the subject, including popular lyric writing and beginning songwriting. We utilize her expertise to break down a handful of songs on this episode, including one of my personal favorites, so stick around for that. We cover a lot of ground on here, so please enjoy Andrea Stolpe. All right, well, we are here with Andrea Stolpe, who is a creative consultant and songwriter extraordinaire, I might say. And Andrea, thank you for being with us on the Song Facts podcast. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited. So reading through your bio and just trying to dig up as much as I could on you, you have a classical piano background and you're the second person I've had on the podcast that has a degree from Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Um, was it there okay. that you began to learn about the finer points of the writing process? Well, it it definitely was. Um, I had struggled and written some songs, of course, in high school. I, you know, I have an older brother and he had a band and I would try to write songs for their, you know, their <laughs> makeshift band, um, not really knowing what I'm doing. And I was a Cindy Lauper fan when I was like 13. So, um, you know, you can imagine the kind of uh, ballads that I wrote with a classical piano background. My uh, groove vocabulary in- included ballads, ballads, and more ballads. So <laughs> that's kind of how it went. Um, so, yeah, when I got to Berkeley, I uh, wanted to move beyond that. And it wasn't really until my last year that I realized, oh, crap, I'm going to have a music degree. What am I, what am I going to do? And so then I really um, started to ask myself, how do I connect uh, my skills uh, with what might be possible in the industry? And that's how I found uh, staff writing in Nashville. And I started picking up guitar you know, just real basic and um, researching a lot of folks in that industry who didn't play guitar well, yet wrote these fantastic songs. Mm-hmm. And so I started to then get more groove into my writing and I was able to uh, to write some different stuff. But I think, you know, my classical background ultimately set me up to understand what a melodic motif is. Yeah, you, know, you can't play Mozart for you know fourteen years and not have that just carved into your brain. No, <laughs> which kind of leads me to the next question, which is, I would guess that because of this classical training, you've got a pretty strong base in musical theory, right? I mean, yeah, 
you know, any, any, anybody who comes out of Berkeley, you've got your four semesters of harmony, one through four, and two, two semesters of traditional harmony, and you've written a couple of counterpoint Bach yes. tunes. So, <laughs> yeah, for what it's worth, um, I always relied on my, on my ear uh, to, to do those things. And um, to be honest, um, y y there's always more for me to learn. And when I found things like secondary dominance and Elton John, you know, that was, that was a moment for me, like, oh my gosh, I can actually use theory to arrive at, at uh, new, uh, new harmonic movement. And I, I think with regard to using theory to write other elements, like the, like the, the companionship between melody and lyric yeah. uh, or melody and, and chords, I think I ended up definitely relying on my ear a lot more than anything else. Which but I, I, kinda, I work. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leaning into that direction a little bit of going with something that is more of what I would call a natural songwriter who might not read music, have any understanding of theory, have any understanding of why what they're doing, why their chord progression works, why the melody that they're putting with that chord progression works versus someone who has that and yeah. it, does that give someone a leg up i mean or is it are the yeah. is the best when you have that balance of someone who's also got that creativity so that they don't need that theory or um and then they just have that as a background too of like well you know what i bet if we just threw in like a, mm -hmm. a diminished seventh right here that that would really give it the mood that we wanted mm -hmm. i i love that question um, you know, I, I always come back to the thought that theory without um, in, intention and without intuition is not worth anything at all. And, and at the same time, you know, I think all of what I do is focused on support of the songwriting. Mm -hmm. And who doesn't want more tools? Um, to rely entirely on those tools is not useful either, then there's no inspiration. So I think we're constantly trying to figure out how do I uh, grab enough theory that's actually useful for me. I tell a lot of my songwriters, um, if, if it's interesting to you and you find that you get joy from learning theory, then by all means, go do it. But if it's a struggle, let's look at other things that we can do. And, um, you know, a simple example would be with regard to chords. I think we assume as songwriters that I need new chords. I need yeah. to find a new chord. Well, okay, that is one way to create, let's say, contrast, interest in a song. But what about simple changes like um, moving from a verse where you're changing chords once per measure, you know, so you have a, um, a, a regularity to your chord changes as we yeah. often do. And then when you move to a chorus, you know, the big word that everybody uh, talks about in songwriting, of course, is contrast. But, but why? I think that's the thing is why. Why do we contrast? And then how you do it can depends on your own musical influences and, and what you like and what the song needs. You know, so um, in that example, if you changed chords once per measure in the verse, a simple idea might to change chords every two measures like mm -hmm. kelly clarkson's big song breakaway More frequent chord changes in the verse, less frequent in the chorus. So, but but I think too, you know, not to be sensitive then to well, what does the tool create for you? What does it give you? It gives you yeah. this expansive lift and uh, just dramatic chorus feeling uh, up against a verse that was more um, tense. Uh, there was more movement. You know, so so I feel like as as songwriters, that's the end goal is to, yes, gain more 
tools, um, but then really be sensitive to how do you use those tools to create the experience you want for your listener. Yeah. That's really good. I've, I've been just absolutely falling in love with the idea of music theory over this, for some reason, over the quarantine. I just kind of started watching some YouTube videos on it. And I don't know, it's like what you said, it's just every time you turn over a new rock, you learn something new. And you're just like, that's why and you get a lot of those questions yeah. answered of why does that make me feel like that? Like finding the blue mm -hmm. note in a blues song and things like that, where you're just, oh, this is just so I don't know. It's so interesting to me. Um, I'm just curious yeah. before we get into like the meat and potatoes of this, what are some of your favorite songs lyrically? Just like, you know, a couple off the top of your head. Oh man. Not an easy well, one. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of, um, Kaylee Hammock. And, and she is one of the artists that we're going to dig into in a minute. Um, the song I've been listening to lately of hers is small town hypocrite. Okay. Um, it's just, I mean, if you think about that, she is in the country market and it's kind of hitting a, um, a cultural stereotype on the head, even with the title itself. Um, and so I love songs and songwriters like that, that kind of squeeze your face right up against the glass of your assumptions. And you can, uh, it, it's, it's just, it's awesome. Other writers who've done that for me um, in songs. I've been a huge Sting fan. Okay, um, great. And yeah, yeah. And sometimes you know, he, he can be cheesy. He can be poetic and abstract to the point that I'm kind of rolling my eyes like, really? Nobody else could say that but you uh, and get away with it, you know, with, with your great band and uh, just expert musicianship. So I find him very intriguing. Um, and, and I've always enjoyed looking back at his songs because they, they're just legendary. They, yeah. they're timeless. And I'm always in awe of how do you do that? Yeah. I had someone else on and, um, her name's Misty Boy. She's an incredible singer and songwriter that if you don't know, I would recommend you check out, but yeah. she's, she's just been doing some amazing work over the last couple of years. And she had the opportunity to play and perform with him and sing with him at a, um, halftime show for like the NCAA basketball tournament a few years ago. And she just said, I just couldn't believe it. And one of the things that she said yeah. she was so that she loved about him was just the way that he never really set limits for himself. Like, yeah, I played with the police, but now let me go put myself with like some African rhythms or like a jazz band mm -hmm. behind me or something like that. And always just kind of like, you know, continuing to see where his creativity could go and take that. So yeah, I love sting. That's a really good answer. Um, Okay, now we're going to kind of dive in, dive into and dissect a few selected songs and two that okay. you've chosen, two that I have. So let's start with yours. Um, you have a great blog that offers people a great deal of info, an incredible amount of info. It kept me up last night <laughs> as, oh, I, as I kept reading these articles because they're, they're just really good and I like that they're, they touch on some things, but they kind of leave you wanting more too. I, I really like that, that style of writing that you're doing. Um, cause it obviously right. coincides with your books, I'm sure. And so we're going to use a few of those articles to help us understand what makes some of these songs and maybe even some more that we haven't even thought of yet stand out. Um, so starting with a recent blog that you just wrote on contrast, which we'd already been talking about a little bit. Um, so what's the song that, uh, you chose that we're going to talk about contrast. Well, um, I was thinking about uh, Kaylee Hammock's uh, tune, Redhead. Okay. And um, it's, man, what a fabulous song. And again, in, in country music, what really pushes um, that genre, I think, uh, to influence and uh, uh, really stretch other genres is the ability of songwriters to help us get to know the characters yep. um, through the use of furniture. We call it furniture, right? Sensory language. And in this song, uh, the sensory language is just unreal. Um, and it's certainly in, in songs like these, uh, the contrast that comes out can sometimes uh, be traced certainly back to musical aspects, but lyrical aspects as well. Um, where we hear contrast between the function of the title and uh, which can, in this case, redhead is a visual image. Yeah. 
But at some point, there's always going to be a um, emotion, a, a, a statement or a thought that broadens the song and gives us the sense of um, the song has deeper meaning. And so in songwriting, we find that there are these two types of language. There's the furniture, which are the visuals, the pictures, right? Yeah. Um, and in this song, mama was a hothead, daddy was a redneck, grew up in a single wide when Reagan was president, spooning in a twin size, newlywed business. And then we get the last line, and here's that contrast, didn't know they're going to have themselves. You know, that's the line that, that says how they're thinking and feeling, mm -hmm. a little redhead. And so, so this is something that, that country music makes so clear is the difference between the pictures and the thought feeling language. And I found that single tool monumental. That is perhaps the most critical tool of songwriting that I have ever learned in my whole life. And this many contrast. people, yes, many okay. people are afraid of lyric writing. Um, and I get it. I mean, it's hard to write lyrics uh, and they're no fun at all when they're not working. And it's hard to get feedback on on your lyric writing in particular, because um, I think people, you know, they, they don't know necessarily how to fix an issue. They can tell you all day what's wrong with it or that they don't feel or don't understand your characters or don't get your main message or, yeah. this, you know, the story is too big or this and that. And um but figuring out how to manage that feedback, what to do with it, is another thing. Well, you give some really good tips in this um, blog article about ways to kind of manage those difficulties of writing and roadblocks that you might hit. And one of the things that you discuss is working on them, working on um, isolating the lyrics or the melody and working on them alone is a good practice for developing something like contrast. So what is an example of changing a rhyme scheme? Oh, I love that question. Um, well, so changing a rhyme scheme, it, it directly speaking to what you're saying, would be noticing that in your verse section, you're using, let's say, a rhyme scheme that's um, uh, uh, food away, uh, new stay. Yeah. So you've got A, B, A, B. And if you continue that rhyme scheme throughout the song, the, the trouble for the writer can be that we end up using the same length of line and we get kind of stuck in the rhythm that we've been using for each line, which then creates a melodic rhythm that is the same and works against creating contrast. Is this almost like syllable count? Um... Yes, uh, it's funny. I was just looking into Max Martin's melodic math and and interested in that idea. And certainly, other writers have written about that. Pat Patterson um, has written a lot about um, couplets, you know. And and Shakespeare has done a little bit of that too, creating an expectation through the rhythm of the line, which mm -hmm. has to do with the the syllable count thing. It it's all syllable count and rhyme scheme. They're just different structural tools that control the flow or the forward motion of the song. And you don't want the forward motion to stall. Yeah. Just like in a speech, you know, if it's monotone, it stalls and we don't hear the message in what you're saying. So rhyme scheme is just another tool that gives the listener an expectation. And then when we create a pattern, but then we don't fulfill that expectation, it highlights what we're saying underneath. It yeah. highlights what we're, what our message is, right? Yeah. So I think of rhyme scheme as a tool for stretching my melodies, because if I am writing lyric first, and I allow my lyric to 
let's say I'm expecting to write myself an XAXA rhyme scheme, and then I, I go XABB with two short lines, because they, let's say they just happened to come out as, as there was an internal rhyme. So now I'm going to take that internal rhyme and I'm going to break that line into two, and now I've got two short lines of BB. Okay. And now I'm thinking, ooh, that did a little something for my melody there. Shorter lines create forward motion and or acceleration. And then kind of, you know, that might uh, help get me on a new uh, frame of, 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 of thought, yeah. a new thought musically, um, just because I'm changing things rhythmically with the lyric. Yeah. So then, yeah, you do kind of talk about also changing the rhythm and then even changing mm -hmm. the number of lines that you... Mm -hmm have maybe had previously and adding to that or subtracting from that. And I wrote the word discomfort, but I don't know if that's right because I'm thinking about it from a listener standpoint. And if you go ahead and I have an ex and th that's why I'd say it's not discomfort. It's breaking an expectation mm. where you're, I'm expecting this lyric or this melody to end a certain way. And the writer throws that off and it. Like mm -hmm. if I'm like, that's the natural thing that would happen. So I'm almost, I wouldn't say bored, but just expecting that in a way that mm -hmm. it just like would seem natural. So I might tune out a little bit, but if that's yeah. broken, all of a sudden I'm back and I'm more engaged with the song. Is that kind of what this is going to do? Oh, absolutely. Corey. I think, I think that's spot on. And the correlation to, to music is clear too. You know, the it's, it's almost like saying one, four, five, one, four, five one, four, five, two, mm. you know, the two major is that idea, right? It, it, it says, but wait, listen, listen to this moment. Yeah. So when we change the rhyme scheme, it's the same, same idea. Stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this. Okay. Um, and then, you also talk about changing the content and I'm wondering if having yeah. the verse tell the story and the chorus having the why mm -hmm. is the only way and or the best way to write as you know, is that, can you flip those? What, uh, that, that, wow. You, you're asking such fabulous questions. <laughs> um, I guess that you kept me up last night. So all these were popping into my head and I was like, I gotta get these written down. Ah, that's what a great question. Well, the tendency of songs of of storytelling, I think, is to start with, well, you know, last night I was watching TV, and up comes this commercial on da 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 da. You know, so when you tell a story, you start with the detail. You start by setting the scene, or we start with the problem, and so naturally, the point of the story comes at some later time after we've set the scene. Um, and so the contrast that, that we're talking about here, moving from um, talking about who, what, when, and where in the verse, culminating in the why in the chorus is very natural progression. Um, I could say, you know, songs that start with the chorus, maybe that's more of a musical decision rather than a lyrical decision. Yeah. M most times I would guess. Um, but, you know, maybe lighthearted songs, songs that aren't necessarily built around a problem, but songs that just deliver a feel-good message. M maybe that, um, that there, there's not as much contrast between the content of, 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 you know, leading up to the why, because there's no problem. Um, so I would say that, that you can flip it and, and songs do that. But ultimately, if you're talking about a problem in the chorus, uh, you're not solving that problem. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there again, it's, it's kind of like, well, why would we write a book about uh, the moral of the story when we're still in the midst of the struggle? You couldn't. There's no transformation. There's no movement. Yeah. So we're going to jump over to another article that you wrote, which is focusing on the why, which we've kind of touched on a little bit. 
So which song do you have for us in regards to the why? You know what? When you said choose one of my own songs, I actually thought you meant to choose something I'd written. So I did. Good. Rather did. than choosing. That's what you meant? Okay. <laughs> I absolutely did, yeah. From the blog. Okay. Right. All right. Um, well, I chose a song that was kind of the turning point in my career uh, because Faith Hill recorded this one and it's called You Stay With Me. Well, you get tired of what you got If I can't give you anymore Where the chips and distant shores Would you still be my compass? Yeah Cause you keep So when we talk about the why, we're talking about the chorus. And um, to get clear on the chorus is such a critical step in um, clarifying the main message, of course. Mm -hmm. And I've never felt that I've been a very good chorus writer. I've always felt like I could, I could put as much pictures as you want me to put in the verse. I can make you feel like you're there. Um, and this, the, my challenge is getting bold enough to summarize it because whenever we summarize it can get it can feel cliche or cheesy or you know trite very quickly yeah and um my co-writer and i we we struggled with this song in the sense that at this point in our careers i you know to be honest we were just frustrated we were like i don't even know what they quote unquote want anymore. We're trying to write country. Neither of us grew up in the South. I don't know. I don't even know what to do anymore. You know, we thought we'd figured it out. No, you know, you get songs. Of course, you get passed on most of the songs you write as a published writer over and over and over again. Well, you're in sales, and, right? So you're going to hear a lot more no's than yeses. <laughs> ooh, isn't that the truth? And with this, I had been listening to Train. Um, the night before and it was really at a point where I was like I don't even know anymore I'm just going to write what what I might like to listen to and if, if I could I read you the chorus Please. of this and it's very it's very abstract and metaphorical for country so here's the chorus I can hear uh, I'm sorry if I can't give you any more than weathered ships and distant shores would you still be my compass because you keep loving me the same I don't know how, but you still stay with me, baby. You stay with me, baby. I mean, geez. Yeah. It was, I, as I was writing it, I felt like, what am I saying? I don't even know. You know, um, but as, as having been influenced by Train, you know, and, and I love Coldplay and I love these bands where half the time I'm, you know, take, take away the fantastic uh, uh, music or the groove um you know we just sound like big dramatic babies <laughs> but i you know i'm like i'm gonna allow myself to go there yeah and uh allow myself to say you keep loving me the same i don't know how but you stay with me baby you know it's like god but we left it. And, Were you always trying uh, to keep baby out of your songs? <laughs> I think, you know, I didn't know how to use it. I'm like, I think it sounds good. Isn't it okay? Um, so as far as the why, there's a point where I've had to remind myself, you know what? I'm not writing for musicians. I'm writing for people who just want to feel something. Yep. And in the end, if I'm going to say baby or I'm going to say uh, just just these typical language, you know, you keep loving me the same. Um, it's okay. It's okay to summarize with those truths. And, and those big truths are going to sound like platitudes sometimes. Yeah. Well, now for my pick, um, which was really kind of both of our picks, because you mentioned it in um, in your article, How to Write Songs with Killer Hooks. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't stay away from this article just because of the title of it so that's great so we're talking about an all-time favorite sitting on the dock of the bay by otis redding 
I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay. And to start off, how do you define what a hook is? Wow. Well, a hook is a musical, melodic, and a lyrical marriage that summarizes the main message of the song and provides us with a memorable musical moment. Mm-hmm. So I think um, a melodic hook over a title, it can repeat itself throughout the song or it can be a standalone contrasting melodic idea that makes the title stand out. Yeah. But a hook is generally uh, the title that says it all and the, 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 the title by which we refer to the song. Does the hook have to be a lyric or can the hook be a piece of music? I've heard people talk about the hook is sort of like they talk about the motif. It's just yeah. maybe a little more familiar word rather than motif, which sounds a little more music theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So you have five characteristics of a hook. So okay. let's use those and let's break them down sitting on the dock of the bay. First, Okay. how do the melody, harmony, and lyrics speak to the same language here? Good question. <laughs> Testing you on your own uh, on your own quiz. <laughs> I know. Did I write that? I don't think I wrote that. Um, okay. Well, there's almost so much to say. There is. Um, you know, one thing that that's coming up for me right now, and I don't mean to to, to get off topic or talk talk around it. So I'm going to talk this out and figure out why it's coming up for me. Yeah. This song doesn't. Um, it's not very rangy. It's not vocally um, explosive. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's contained. And whenever I hear a melody that's contained um, and, or, and, and, you know, just really creates a strong uh, musical fingerprint, musical theme, without having to access a variety of different pitches, um, or a large range, I think about what's going on rhythmically with the melody as opposed to with regard to pitch. Mm -hmm. This song manages to, you know, maintain a legendary status. Everybody knows this song. I haven't met a single person who's got an issue with it, <laughs> you know? Um, and how does it do that? I think um, very simply the you know the title is the musical hook that i remember and uh it occurs frequently throughout yeah. the song and so i think you know one of the things that we that i know i feel the pressure of as a writer and i and i think i hear it in other people is we give our listeners so much information and that's musical through uh how many different chords can i involve in one song yeah we do it lyrically when we try to write about a story that's so big and complicated. Um, we do it melodically when we think, I think we, we come into songs sometimes thinking like, I couldn't possibly repeat the motif of the first line three times, four times, five times, six times. And yet we fully accept the songs from other writers and I'm legend, you know, our, our idols who yeah. do this. And, um, you know, and there again, I think we hear, I think for me, you know, I've, I've heard this a lot where, and, and felt this myself, oh, I couldn't possibly be that repetitive. People will tire of me or slap a label on my songs that they're simplistic. Okay. But I think to kind of reframe that, um, I wonder if part of what we're doing is trying to be everything to everyone. Yeah. You know, I don't want to bore my listener, and therefore I have to constantly vary the melody from line to line to line. There's so much repetition in this song 
um, from a melodic rhythmic standpoint, you know, and he throws in um, uh, a little interest, just a little interest chord wise, but for the most part, it just continues as you might expect. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that idea of creating moments, not every line has to have a moment, but you give your listener a pattern and a strong, I use the word fingerprint, but you know, there should be a melodic motif that within the first 15 seconds of the song, we hear it and we say, oh, that's that song. And, and that motif is a, a, a pitch identification, but it's also a rhythmic identifier yeah. that makes your small bit of melody that song. Um, and as a writer, you know, I really only have to write two motifs, two one or two measure melodies that are the basis for my verse and my chorus. Yeah. And if those melodies aren't strong, aren't identifiable, I've got, uh, I'm at risk of my, my whole song you know, musically being so diluted that the listener can't really tell you what it is I'm trying to say musically, we'll say. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. It's, it's an interesting one to me because I think the story within the song is him taking us into his imagination. Cause he tells us right at the beginning, I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm here when the sun comes up, I'm here when the sun goes down. Mm. And the story within the song is him recapping kind of how he got there. Mm. And so it's really this interesting thing of you go on this journey but really the whole time you're just in one place because he tells you right away that that's where he is. And I think as I started thinking about that today, that's where I was like, I started being like, have I ever heard anything else that does that? And I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head that was going on a journey, knowing that you didn't move at all. And I thought that that, when I started to think about it from that lens, it started to be a very unique and almost even better song to me and better lyric. What a, what a lovely sentiment. I think um, lately I've been thinking about this, this idea of, I call it vantage point, but in any song we choose a, uh, a moment and therefore a, a place in time from which to tell the story. And the song changes based on where you're at in that story. And um, in this sitting on the dock of the bay, one thing that I love is he says, looks like nothing's going to change. Everything's, you know, remain the same. I can't do what 10 people tell me to do. So I guess I'll remain the same sitting mm -hmm. here, resting my bones. He's not trying to fix anything. You know, he's not, it is what it is. And so, you know, many times with songs, we, we, we traverse several years of, life, you know, from having a problem to, so for, I'll give song examples, like we meet someone, we fall in love, we fall out of love, we realize they were never good for us, and we go on the search for someone else. I mean, there's like eight songs in there, as yeah. opposed to, what's the one song? You can write that song from the, um, I haven't met you yet. I yeah. haven't met you yet, and I'm looking forward to it, and that that's it. You could write that from, I just met you and I'm super excited. And then from that vantage point, yeah, that's interesting. you can say, I'm looking back at how I've anticipated you. And here you are. Isn't it, isn't it great? And in the bridge, I'm, I'm imagining what it's going to be. But I haven't left the moment that I'm in, which is I just met you. Yeah. So the key is not to advance the... Uh, the, the location, not to advance the time. You can look forward and imagine what it's going to be. You can look back and see what has brought you here. You know, but that's that's the, the key, I think, is to grow some roots in the moment that you're in. Yeah. And, you know, look at the future, look at the past, but don't move. Yeah, that's a really... Yeah, I just... I guess I hadn't thought about songs from that aspect before, but when you, when you put it like that... I... I'm guessing that I'll be listening for that now and I'll hear it more often than, than not because, it's you know, really great cool. songs can kind of do that to you and take you to a place without even you even really knowing. 
Um, yeah. Okay, so the next subject seems to be pretty important, as you touch on it throughout a few of the blog posts that I've read, but it is um, that question posed in verses. The question that is posed in verses leads to the answer in the chorus or the hook. So how is that exemplified mm -hmm. here? In On the Dock of the Bay? Yeah. Well, so in this song, the refrain, sitting on the dock of the bay, is the answer, right? So the problem is, um, uh, he, he's he's a friend of discontent. He doesn't know what to expect. I think I feel this character is um, sitting with loss, sitting with the way things are. He's mm -hmm. connecting with his humanity. And he's in, he's finally, I feel like, he's telling me, he's finally in no position in which he feels like he must do something about it. He's truly accepting. Yeah. Look like nothing's gonna change Everything still remains the same I can't do what ten people tell me to do So I guess I'll remain the same Sitting here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone and, and there's something so appealing about that um, That, you know, it's funny how everything I just said right now It certainly might be my personal message that I get from the song But nothing of what I've said is actually in this lyric Yeah. And yet that's how I would say the song makes me feel That's what I feel Think the message is well that's what's great too right that's our right as the listener is to get a lot of inference out of things and everybody's can be different and i yeah that's one of my favorite things about analyzing songs and lyrics is because it makes me feel this song makes me feel like this is a guy who's very content enjoying a day just hanging out and not mm -hmm. looking at where he's been thinking about what he's doing and possibly being a little bit uneasy about what's ahead but just being like i'm just gonna have today and be in this moment and i don't for some reason that's that's how it always rang to me and i think that's why it it's just like one of those calming songs and um a quick little fact from the website on this was that the whistling part was just an ad lib nobody nobody told him to do that he just uh decided to start whistling at the end and they were like we're gonna go ahead and keep that that was really good right um, so we can talk about I a love song or another one, but I really love this idea. So repetition and position. I think we all know the idea of repetition as we have all had a summer hit song that lasted in our heads way too long into fall. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about position <laughs> and how does position relate to the hook? Well, um, so the more we write songs, you know, and certainly we try to position the hook in what we call power positions, right? So the first line of the chorus, the last line of the chorus are um, typically where those, you know, how to write hit songs books will tell you where to put it. The last line of a verse is a good place to position the title um, and to do it at the end of each verse. I think trying out the, um, those, those basic structures is, it's, it's almost like we're practicing writing in the box or, you know, um, uh, we're practicing basic structural tools that keep the listener engaged. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, as much as we can, we try to key into our intuition. So following our inspiration and our intuition about where the main message should sit. Um, but it's hard when you're inside the song experience, writing the song, you know, you, you don't always have, you certainly don't always have an objective viewpoint. And, some, and it's really easy to get lost in the detail yeah. um, of writing the song and then not be able to experience it the way that your listener does. Yeah. Um, and so what I do is I write by inspiration and then I and then I look back on it, you know, maybe if I got through a verse and and uh, a couple lines that I'm not sure if they're a pre-chorus or a chorus yet, I'll go back and and do a few things. I'll look at the first line of the song and I'll consider 
Did I write a main message idea there? Could that be the title? What would it be like if I used that as the first line of the chorus? Hmm. What would it be like if I came back to that at the end of the chorus? Um, or I'll look at the last line of the verse and consider, could I repeat that at the end of the verse? And you maybe use that again in the chorus as the big idea. So the way I like to think about this is I'm taking clues that the song is giving me. Yeah. And I'm trying to ask the song for, for lack of um, sounding more tangible here. But what do you think, you know, do, did what just came out when I wrote what was appealing to me? Um, did what just come out have more that it was trying to show me than just, you know, a line um, where it sits? So I, I try to see kind of the thin red line that came out that I might not be seeing. Yeah. And I think, you know, less is more. I will, just like a instrumentalist, will overplay and part of becoming a skilled instrumentalist is knowing when to hold back knowing when it's enough i think it's that way for writers too we will more often give the listener too much information vary the melody too much you know change chords too much yep. um, we'll over complicate instead of uh, provide a concentrated simple statement musically yeah. and lyrically so i like that a lot i like yeah. how you are willing to go back because that's something that i'm curious if a lot of people writing are willing to do that is go back and reanalyze what they've already put down and ask mm -hmm. themselves is this the best position for this is this really the message that i wanted to convey now that i'm sure. deeper into this is this does this still all make logical sense and and continuing to just kind of tinker until you get it to where you want to be. And that to me is probably a big difference of getting to be to a level where you're writing songs that, you know, are people want to use and people want to take from you or, you know, a record company is like, we got a single here. This is great. And, and that's just going to be something that is, you know, practice how you play, right? You've got to continue to do this in a way that's, you got to be willing to go back and analyze your own work because everyone else is going to analyze it. I think that's what I'm trying to sum up and say. Sure. And you're going to be nice enough now to scratch my itch of analyzing one of my favorite songs. Okay. Um, yes. And so uh, let's take all that we've talked about into account and we're going to discuss um, Must Have Been the Roses by Robert Hunter, which is pretty much primarily performed by Grateful Dead and Grateful Dead offshoots. And you just told me that you had not heard this before. Yeah, or if I had, I put it away deep in my memory. <laughs> so um, what are your first thoughts when you when you listen to it? thought was this must be really important to hear the lyric because musically it felt like it was allowing the lyric uh, to catch my attention to be the thing that drives the song mm -hmm. you know um, which is such a great um, I think a tool for examining what what makes my own song <clears throat> or what should I edit with regard to my own song you know um, if I have a groove-oriented tune, it's natural that the lyric would serve the purpose of complementing the groove, but not taking, you know, it doesn't have to um, carry the weight of the song anymore. And I think that's, that's something interesting to say because we listen to popular music and we think, well, how come that hit song ha can have such an average lyric and yet my songs get torn apart for their, you know, for their lyric quality? Mm -hmm. Well... It could be, you know, think about the driving element in the song. And certainly there's other things like if the artist is already established, you know, they can say stuff and we'll yeah. just 
eat it up or we'll just graze over it and not, not criticize <laughs> it um, because it, we have context, right? Um, but that is the first thing with this song is, okay, musically it's, um, it's providing context for the lyric and I'm supposed to be hearing the story in the lyric. Yeah. Okay. That's good because that's what I completely think that it is. So okay. it is, in my opinion, it's irregular. But then when I start thinking about it through the idea of what you were talking about with contrast, it becomes maybe a little bit less irregular in terms of verse chorus structure mm -hmm. because it does open up just going, um, Annie later head down in the roses. She had ribbons, ribbon, ribbons in her long brown hair right into the chorus. Mm. And then it comes back into the second verse and it goes, it has double the lines on the second verse than it did on the mm. first. And then it goes into the chorus again. Mm. And so to me, that seemed irregular. But now mm. after up until literally today and reading through your article on contrast, and now I'm like, this might have been something that he thought about or just naturally progressed into was he was just a natural writer of doing these contrasting things of, I got my message across, let's jump into the chorus. And then my second verse, they might think it's just going to be another short verse, but I'm going to double it. And is that kind mm -hmm. of, that's just a style of songwriting? I, I love looking at breaking song form, which is yeah. essentially what we're talking about, because why do we have song form at all? Yeah. Why write to a form? Um, I think, again, it's it's uh, it's good to write in the box, you know, to write the verse chorus song or the verse pre-chorus chorus song, because the box teaches us um, many things, uh, how to deliver an idea so that your listener can hear the idea. Um, you know, so so I love that idea of it's my responsibility to speak so that I am heard. And it's the listener's responsibility to hear what I've said. So format, of course, structure is really important in um, making the idea accessible and land. Um, it's a it's it's a strange form formula here for sure. Yeah. And normally we would get the the full four line verse first, and then the half verse later. And I'll tell you, from the knowing their catalog, mm -hmm. like I do, this isn't the only song where they do, or Robert Hunter has done some things like this. Sure. It was one of the interesting things to me about the lyric specifically is you get a character, you get Annie, someone talking mm -hmm. about Annie. You, It raises the question, she laid her head down in roses. What does this mean? Is she napping? Mm -hmm. Is she? Did she pass <laughs> away? And then yeah. second verse is time passing um and then third verse doesn't really give you the answer that he kind of leaves it ambiguous but he kind of tells you that the crimson you know is faded and there's yeah. i love the like my favorite lyric in this song is one pane of glass in the window which just mm. creates this image of a broken down house i think of jenny's mm. house and forrest gump <laughs> mm -hmm. sure. Sure. and I, that's what comes into my head but I'm just I just love what he did with this and I I think it's this introduction passing of time doesn't really give you the closure that you want that keeps me coming back to the song in the like that do you kind of see what i'm talking about at all <laughs> oh i i sure do i i feel like um what we're talking about is that the imagery the pictures that he uses they are all sort of in the same key or the same color scheme where a pane of glass it's amazing how the ordinary becomes extraordinary when we use pictures that show the mundane 
we are making something significant of them. So, yeah. so the one pane of glass, it's, it's fragile, it's sterile, it's used, it's old, it's, you know, um, and that those words are the words that I would use to describe much of the feeling. Some, like you had said, uh, what happened to Annie? You know, yeah. and I get the sense that what happened that that Annie's not coming back. Yeah, there's something dire here. There's a there's a loss uh, of some kind. You know, faded is the crimson from the ribbons that she wore. It's strange how no one comes around anymore. There's uh, there's an emptiness, and so it didn't. I think I'm gonna gonna say this. It doesn't matter what specifically what pictures you use so long as those pictures are in the color scheme of that loss and there's a there's a sort of timelessness you know the ships waves roll ships home um it's a distance that i feel um and a, a romanticism that i feel yeah that's here and the roses for me are in in that color scheme as well they're the only uh kind of contrasting idea you know but roses certainly they represent um die hard love they yeah. represent loss blood danger violence um you know so there's there's so much in the pictures and I, and I think it's just expertly written expertly. Yeah, really. It reminds I mean, me of Paul Simon, same kind of lyric writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I really love it. Thank you for helping me through that. Cause I've just, I love talking about that song and I love talking about a lot of songs, obviously mm. because I'm hosting this podcast, but I, I haven't gotten to talk about a song that I wanted to, yet so thank you for letting yeah. me do that <laughs> great yeah um, well, great time. i've got one more question i'm gonna that i'm gonna let you go and i'm really curious about this and if there is a straight answer which i doubt but what takes more courage in your opinion putting words down on paper or performing those words live Ooh. for me performing those words live yeah funny i've been i've been thinking a lot about this um, you know, when I put words down on paper, I do so in the safety of my own space. Uh, when I'm performing them live, it's almost like I'm saying, um, I have determined what the, the, the degree to which I am a good writer. Here you go. You know, this is what I am. And you can judge me wholeheartedly on what this is, and it will forever um, be true. That's yeah. what performing feels like. It's extremely vulnerable. Was it definitely to provide is. songwriters a support network and real opportunities in the industry uh, to write for artists, connect with uh, producers who are working with artists, um, developing new talent. And so we do online retreats every couple of months. Um, and uh, our first uh, online retreat was back in June and we've had one in August. Um, and so we just continue to write together and, uh, once a month I'll do a live, a Facebook live, um, to talk about uh, tools and things. So it's growing and I'm very grateful to be able to start that even despite the situation in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and I wish you the best and, um, just really appreciate you giving us some time. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much to Andrea and to you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about what Andrea does, go to her website. I have linked it in the show notes. There you can check out these blog articles, her books, and check out any workshops that she has coming up. And be sure to do it. She has a ton of information and is a very good teacher. As always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Bye. As a new Western Union customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee on your first international online money transfer. Send money to your loved ones back home the fast, easy, and reliable way. 
Visit westernunion.com or download their app today to get started. And your first transfer fee is free. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983, or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985, FX Gain Supply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 